So last week, we uh, briefly reviewed where we have been in the most recent series, beginning with our look at several of the aspects of redemptive ministry. And although I did not mention this directly last week, I did infer by mentioning the use of what I called redemptive tinted glasses. Redemptive tinted glasses. You've heard people say like, oh, you look at the world through rose-colored glasses. You know, in other words, you've got a different perspective. You should have redemptive tinted glasses, okay? To the awakening of our minds, hearts, and spirits to a redemptive worldview. And this has really been eye-opening for me as I'm on uncovering this in the scriptures, and uh, I know it's been very helpful for Martha in a number of areas where she's she's told me, you know, like, all of a sudden I realize I'm not looking at that redemptively. And when she gets that cognitive uh, realization, then she looks at it again, and she gets this different purview, this different focus, this different angle to approach things at, looking at it through redemptive tinted glasses. It's just... Something I want to put into your head. Seeing people, responding to situations, processing emotional responses, right? That's a huge one. Processing emotional responses. When was the last time you, you took an emotional response and processed it before you emoted it? <laughs> you know, it's almost neurologically impossible You'll express your emotional response 11 seconds faster than your brain can process reasonably what to do with the situation. So you need the Holy Ghost. If just for that, you need the Holy Ghost, right? (laughs) We want to be in line with how Jesus would have done it during his time here as a fully human man led by the Spirit of God and seeking to please his Father in heaven. It should be our goal. Remember, Christ in us enables us. Christ in us enables us. Say this, Christ in me enables me. That's, let that be a mantra. Join a yoga class and you know, stretch your foot up behind your neck and say, Christ in me enables me, right? It's a good mantra. (laughs) To duplicate and replicate his behavior, his passion, his compassion, and his ministry responses through signs and wonders. As image bearers, we are custodians of divine reflection. You may be the only Jesus someone ever sees. Salt and light countering darkness and decay in order to show forth the glory of the risen king and his glorious kingdom. Listen to what it says in Romans 5.2. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And you can never rejoice in hope in the glory of God until you experience the inflow of God's glory as you respond in Christ-likeness towards another individual. How many have ever led somebody to Christ before? Isn't that an awesome experience? Huh? To hold hands with someone 
and to experience them receiving Christ into their heart and knowing, knowing what is being initiated at that moment in time is such, man, good stuff, good stuff. And it's no small thing that's been granted to us. And again, as we talked about last week, it is grace granted to us by God as we express to him our faith to receive what he offers. I mean, he's been offering this your whole lifetime. You know, when, when I finally realized that, you know, I prayed the prayer and I finally realized um, that it took, I was beginning to change. Things were happening that I wouldn't change in my own life. I just thought that was normal activity, actions, words, and stuff, you know. All of a sudden, I wasn't doing that anymore. Christ was active in me. And I started to reflect on that and realize that at several points in time throughout my life, Christ had offered himself to me as a means of salvation, and I missed it. Just wasn't even clued into it, you know. He had been pursuing me all my life. He's been pursuing you all your life. So he offers, but it's up to us to receive. Let me quickly reiterate from last week some of what we've already apprehended from God by grace through faith. We talked about our so great a salvation as has been granted to us through the work of Christ on the cross and the power of his resurrection, now listen to this, freely given. Wow. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how does that happen? Why does it happen? Is it because we are such nice human beings? <laughs> huh? Or that we are so good that God needed to reward us? No, it's none of that. It is actually none of us. It's none of our doing at all. Ephesians 2, 4 through 8, Paul says this, But God, but God, being rich in mercy. Wow. Being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when. Now just think about your even when. Right, everyone's got an even when, right? Okay. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him. Raised us up with him, with Christ who has been raised up and seated at the right hand of Father. When he went up, we went up with him even before we knew him. Now, that's grace. Seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Wow. What a God we serve, huh? 
Now, I don't know about you or if you've ever considered uh, your faith from this angle, but the fact of the matter is that your conversion, your coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, is a mystical experience. Absolutely otherworldly. Dealing with those things that eye has not seen nor ear has ever heard. Listen to this powerful, joy-filled, exclamatory description of Christian faith by Peter. Now, Peter is the man that the Pharisees described as an uneducated fisherman, but also noted that he had been with Jesus. Right? Not a good thing to be noted for. You can be a dummy and still be, because <laughs> you've been with Jesus, it's okay. I'm, and it's gotten me along pretty well. First Peter 1. Though you have not seen him, you love him. How does that work? <laughs> Never even seen the guy. And you love him. You have a love, an intimate love relationship with someone you have never seen. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, as the Old Testament prophets, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them, because the Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of prophecy. When they were prophesying, Christ was active in them, although they didn't know it was Christ. Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. The prophets of old had a glimpse and a glimmer of you, of your coming, of your ingathering. That's why they were always talking about the Gentiles. They were always referencing God's heart for the Gentiles. Although the Jews hated the Gentiles, the prophets had to express the love of Christ for us who were not of them. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which, this is awesome, things into which angels long to look. Angels are stunned, absolutely stunned that the church exists. The Apostle Paul is no less expressive in his uh, determination to convey the mystery of the redemptive work of Christ in the world and the mystical impact of that work upon the life of the individual believer. Colossians 1.26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to the saints, to us. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of, his, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope 
of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, your presence is the only source of the glory of God most of the world will have a, ever have an opportunity to encounter. Now, there are, of course, extreme situations, as we're seeing in the Middle East, especially with a lot of these ISIS fighters, where Jesus Christ himself is showing up in person and showing himself to them in dreams and in visions and in apparitions and conveying to them, listen, I am the Christ. I am the son of the living God. And they're converting in droves. Okay? God doesn't slumber and sleep, and he's not winking at what's going on in the Middle, week, in the Middle East. Don't worry about the 6 or the 7 o'clock news. You get in your word. You seek the Spirit. You ask God what he's doing, and you'll find out that there's glory going on where the world is saying it's, it's death and destruction. God is at work. Okay. He's a good God. He's a loving God. I know the use of the word mystical or that type of terminology makes some people uncomfortable. But when I use this terminology, when Peter and Paul reference the redemptive impact with mystical terminology, we are in fact referencing the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. The work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. But if you just said that, if you would have most likely missed the impact of what is taking place because of the commonality of the phrase, work of the Spirit. Now, I could have said, well, that's just the work of the Spirit, and we just wing by. Right? And this is just all part of our modern Pentecostal, charismatic, and yes, even vineyard Christianese vocabulary. We throw these phrases around, and they lose their impact. They lose their depth. But if you take that phrase, the work of the Spirit in the life of the believer, and realize how mystical it is, what a mystery it is that all of God's prophets, from the first prophet Adam, has longed to see what God is up to to redeem the world. And we are the outworking of that longing of generations. It's a mystical thing by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit... The promise of the Father. I, I want you to just uh, sit back and, and let this saturate your spirit, what I'm about to, about to say to you. The helper, the anointing, the wind of God, the fire of God, the streams of living water, the river of life, the spirit of resurrection, breath of God, the comforter, eternal spirit, free spirit, God, the good spirit. The Lord, power of the highest, the Spirit, Spirit of the Lord, Spirit of God, Spirit of the Father, Spirit of Christ, Spirit of the Son, Spirit of life, Spirit of grace, Spirit of prophecy, Spirit of adoption, Spirit of wisdom, Spirit of counsel, Spirit of might, Spirit of understanding, Spirit of knowledge, Spirit of the fear of the Lord, Spirit of truth, Spirit of holiness, Spirit of revelation, Spirit of judgment, Spirit of burning, Spirit of glory, seven spirits of the living God, third person of the Trinity, partner in the divine dance, being fully equal with the Father and the Son, and yet unique in his person. And if that is not mystical, I don't know what is. And here's the kicker. Romans 8.11, if the Spirit, 
that I just described, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. And he's not wanting to wait till you die to do it. He wants to give life to your mortal body right here, right now, today, and every single day. The very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit of resurrection power and the giver of life has taken up residence in you in order to do all that he does through you. All that descriptive dialogue is resident inside of you right now, desiring to be expressed out. And this is no small thing when you consider that this is the fulfillment of God's promise of a better covenant, an agreement between God and man so powerful, so wonderful, so much more than has ever been experienced by any other group of people other than Adam and Eve, that it became the longing in the hearts of those who had structured their whole society, religious activities, and politics around the parameters of the first covenant of the law given by Moses on Mount Sinai, the Jews. Although they were in covenant with God, looked for a promised better covenant from God. Listen to how Ezekiel describes it in Ezekiel 36. This is Father God speaking. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Wow. Wow. This is what God has done. He has transformed us from the inside out. He has been faithful to his own word, and we are the beneficiaries of what Jesus calls the new and everlasting covenant. We, his church, lay claim to God's abundant goodness and generosity. Redemption and grace Freely given. Sin and debt, all forgiven. Freely. You did not have to pay a thing. There was no fine. There was no time you know, in prison. You know, there was no guy you had to check in with once a week. What do they call those guys? Probation, right? No probation. No parole, none of that. All just freely given. Jesus says, I will remember their sins no more. Listen, he is bewildered. He just sits there and scratches his head and says, what are you talking about when you start to reiterate 
the sins you used to have to God. I don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, God, I'm such a louse, you know, I'm such a loser. I did this and I did that. What? I don't have any record of that. What are you talking about? Aren't you my son? Aren't you my daughter? Where are you getting that? You reading comic books again? <laughs> Come on, man. Lighten up. Yo, you're free. Son has said you're free. You're free indeed. Why don't you, you know, act like you're free? <laughs> How do we comp- uh, comprehend this reality that we so glibly quote and display as signage at sports events, right? John 3.16. Right? I mean, we see it at the football games, right? Someone holds up a sign. Oh, look at that. Look at someone's putting up John 3.16. Not only has he given us his son, but now he has given us his spirit also in order to join us in the dance of oneness, the divine dance that brings us in step with the melody of love, the love of God now shed abroad in our hearts. God wants us doing what he's doing. It isn't just so that we can hold up a sign and quote a scripture. That's not what John 3.16 is all about. God is saying, I am freely awakening your soul to be completely human like Adam was completely human and walked with me in the cool of the day, day after day after day, and together we named the animals and we talked about things and we discussed things and we had fellowship together and I found out what his wants and needs were and I put him to sleep and gave him a wife and woke him up and it was all good and he wants to be that to us today. He knows your needs before you ask. But if you're not in intimate relationship with him, if you're not having an ongoing dialogue of intimacy and love and expression of worship and praise, cutting off the phone line. It's mystical. The living God, the creator of everything, is interested in you. Think about that for a minute. So the question to be considered in all of this and in light of our title subject matter of living the life is simply, how does it all play out? What are the means used by the Holy Spirit to orchestrate his melody of love to the world through his church? I was kind of hoping we'd sing that song for the sake of the world today. It's just been kind of ringing in my gut all week long. I just, for the sake of the world. Well, as I see it, there are three basic means by which we are drawn into the life and purposes of the kingdom of God. Calling, who am I in Christ? Who are you in Christ? Who are you in Christ? Gifting, what does he want me to do? Empowerment, how am I going to do it? 
keep in mind as we explore these elements of life in the spirit that although they are all freely given by grace through faith, once they are received, they come with an inherent sense of responsibility and therefore must be humbly exercised and maintained. As Paul states in Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Can you say this out loud? I've been called to something. I've been called to something. Okay. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So I want to start today looking at the calling first. The eternal nature and dynamics of your calling. You have a calling on your life. Okay? Paul was not speaking at a leadership meeting when he made that statement to the Ephesians. He was talking to the church, every member. You have a calling. The spiritual position that your calling places you in and the spiritual giftedness that is embedded in the call, and I might add here that in the scheme of things, it is as important to understand your calling as it is to know your gifting. We tend to, as having charismatic Pentecostal background, uh, we tend to focus towards the gifting. Oh, what's my gifting? I want to prophesy. I want to see this. I want to see that. Listen. Gifts are embedded in the call. It's like the can of Prego soup. You open up that can of calling, all the gifting's in there. He's not going to call you to do something he's not already equipped you to accomplish. He doesn't play games. So the more you develop the calling aspect, the more prevalent the gifting aspect becomes. And it's never too late to start. Check this out, Romans 11.29. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. You can't cancel out who God designed you to be. I mean, you can sidestep it, you can avoid it, you can deny it, you can say no, 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 no. But it is irrevocable. God doesn't change his mind concerning the purposes he has for your life. But he won't let you run it alone. From the moment you said yes to Jesus, you activated all of the potential of both your calling and your gifting. And it maintains its position in your life from that moment on because all of the gifts are resident in the gifter. Did you catch that? All of the gifts are resident in Christ who is in you. And he can express himself through you any way he desires. It was taken up residence in you. Now watch the spread of time and purpose in both the Old Testament and the New Testament within the outworking of calling and gifting in the life of an individual as well as in the life of the corporate body. Jeremiah 1.5 Before I formed you in the womb, 
before I formed you in the womb. What were you? You're an egg here and a little squiggly thing here. Right? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Listen, this guy's strung out on you. He loves you so much. Before you even existed, he already knew you. And and this is this is not new as in the sense of just information. This is new as in yada. Deep, intimate, loving knowledge. It's the knowledge that Fran has about his wife, Sarah. No one else can have the same knowledge about her. You might know about Sarah, but he knows her. You see, this is what God is saying. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, I was so intimately in love with you that I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. I appointed you. There's the calling, a prophet. There's the gifting. Wrapped tight together. Then the Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy about the calling, the holy calling of Jesus in the believer's life in 2 Timothy 1.9. He's talking about Jesus. He said, who saved us and called us. There's the corporate expression. Called us to a holy calling. All of us are called to a holy calling. What's holy mean? Separate. Separated out for a divine purpose. Hmm? Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus when? Before the ages began. So check this out. Before it says in the beginning... You already had your plan rolling. Before the ages began, before he ever spoke light, he was already contemplating you in his heart. My goodness. Ah, Come on, church. in which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. The corporate outworking of this dynamic of calling and gifting is to add definition, functionality, and corporate identity to the body of Christ as it expands the kingdom of God throughout the world. And I love where this all ends up. Peter expresses it in 1 Peter 2.9. But you, point, point to yourself, but I, but you are a chosen race. When did he choose you? Before he even said, let there be light. Before the foundations of the world, before time began, before anything else was in motion, he had already chosen you, Right? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, 
What does that mean? A priesthood is the office of representing God to humanity. You are a royal priesthood chosen by God before the world was even formed. A holy nation, a people for his own possession. Well, you know, you could eliminate all of it and just keep the part of people for his own possession, and we got it all. that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And who do you proclaim that to? Those who are still stuck in darkness. And that's manifesting the glory of God. Interestingly enough, Jesus does this one saint at a time. Each individual is called and gifted to create the Holy Spirit-enlivened church of Jesus Christ, gifted into the world for the sake of the world. For God so loved the world, he gave his Son, and his Son so loves the world that he gives us. God is generous by nature. He gives his best. When the Father said, I want to give to the world, he gave his best. He gave Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, I want to give to the world, he gives his best. He gives his church. That's us. You ever considered you are the best that Jesus has to offer to the world? <laughs> this is Sunday comedy hour, right? <laughs> Holy Spirit empowered, called to his purpose, and gifted to express all that Jesus' redemptive love, light, and life to all who will. So the Spirit and the bride, the church, say, come to the world, to the lost, to the downtrodden, to the brokenhearted, to those in bondage. The Spirit and the bride say the same Thing. They express Jesus. Come. Come. All you who are heavy burdened, come. Second Corinthians one twenty. This is from the modern King James Version. It says this for all the promises of God in him, in Jesus, are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God. Now here, this is awesome. By us. All of the promises of God in Christ Jesus reflect back to the Father as they are expressed to the world by us. That is very, very profound. So we're going to do a little application as we've been doing some of the stuff. First, we'll pray and invite the Holy Spirit to enliven his calling in our life, in your life within you and give you an awareness of what that might be and then we will activate some prophetic stuff. That may sound a little quaint up against the intensity of what we discussed, you know, activate some prophetic stuff. Like no big deal, right? Well, it is a big deal. But it's also scripturally provided for, okay? Within the framework of God's chosen people. I'll explain this. 
I think we could count Moses as a friend of God. Would you say that? A great relationship, right? And maybe even an influencer of God. Do you think Moses influenced God as much as God influenced Moses? Oh, listen. All right, Moses, I'm all done with these people. I'm, I'm going to fry them all, and you know, I'll just start a whole new nation through you. Oh, what, are you kidding me? Do you know what all the nations are going to say if you do that? These aren't my people anyways. You're the one that stuck me with them. They belong to you, right? I don't think you ought to do that. And the Bible says, and God repented. He repented to Moses about what he was going to do. That's an influencer of God, right? So with that in mind, I want to read you this account from Numbers 11.24. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. That's the tent of meeting. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. As soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. You see, it's almost like a natural response, right? But they did not continue doing it. Now, two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad. I love these guys' names. <laughs> <laughs> I could not hang out with these guys. I'm sorry. I, I'd be making fun of them all the time. <laughs> hey, old daddy <laughs> And the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. So Moses is having this leadership meeting, and, and the spirit of God falls, and they're all prophesying to one another in this leadership meeting, but two of the guys didn't show up, and they're prophesying out in the hood, right? And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, my Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. This was Moses' expressed desire that all of God's people would be prophets and God would put his spirit on all of them. At that time, he only had put it on 70 plus Moses. So here is an expressed desire for God's people from Moses, and here comes God's response to that desire because it's written in Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now that was a big desire because Moses is standing in the middle of between four and six million people. Don't think that your desire is ever too big for God to fulfill. We've already seen that God pours out his spirit on all flesh on the day of Pentecost. And then the apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14. For you can all prophesy. 
you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. Moses' desire has been fulfilled in the church. All of you can prophesy. And so we're going to put some stuff in play. I'm going to, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to stand up and just open up your hearts to receive from the Lord. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and just reveal to you a sense of his calling for your life. Now, you don't have to share that with me. This is for you to begin a dialogue with the Father concerning where to go from this point on as he reveals to you what his desire was.